Please be seated. Good to see so many here this morning, even though it's kind of a drizzling, muggy day outside. It's one of those days if you're in charge of the thermostats, you don't know what to do. And so I didn't do anything this morning, except just a minute ago, I did turn the air conditioner on right over here. Just let you know. So you people in the front, uh, it gets hot up here, you know. Uh, I have a kind of a, a, a sad announcement to make. Uh, about a year ago, Sam and Shirley Seifers and their two daughters, Samantha and Sarah, began coming here and became a part of our church family. And because of job-related issues, uh, they are going to be moving to uh, the Sherman, Denison area. And this is their last Sunday uh, to be with us. Uh, we want you to know that uh, we will miss you. Uh, that even though you've been here a short time, it's kind of like a, a comet across the sky. You've been a light. And uh, we, uh, we will certainly remember you and hope that you can come back and visit uh, any time that you are perhaps in the area. And I, for sure, and the youth group will miss uh, Samantha and Sarah. Uh, they have been an important part of our, of our group. So kind of led with that. Uh, if you've been following along, you know, we've been doing this cloud of witnesses thing, right? And we started with Adam and we just got through with Joseph. And so if, if, you're, if you're in touch with what's going on, you can probably figure out that we're going to go to Moses next. But I wanted to take a little break from that and, and do a few things before we actually start with Moses. And so what we're going to do for a couple weeks now, at least, is we're just going to look at some of my favorite verses. That's the prerogative I have. Uh, you know, you may have your favorite verses, but I got, you know, my favorite verses. And, and as you know, for as long as I've been doing this, I don't normally just take a verse out of, out of the context and, and preach on that. But going to kind of do that for a couple weeks, although we may look at the context that surrounds the verses. And I don't know about, you know, if you're my age or older and maybe even a little younger, you grew up with Bible memory verses in class. And I was looking at the verses that I was going to use, and I realized that a lot of these were verses that I've known since I was a little child. They were part of the memory verses that I had in Bible school. So this morning we're going to start with Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 that says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. We've heard that, word, we've heard that, that verse a lot and maybe it's one of your favorite too. It certainly is very, uh, uh, well, I just lost the word. It applicable. That's not the word I was looking for, but it'll work. To our society and where we live and where we are as Christians today. Now in the uh, uh, context, Paul is writing to the church at Rome. And he begins by telling them how much he longs to be with them. And he even tells them that he has tried to get there. 
But things have come up. Things have hindered him from getting to Rome. But he desperately wants to get there. And then he talks about how that he's obligated and eager to preach the gospel. And then he comes along and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. We now live in a world and a society where it is easy to be shamed because of our faith. Or to be ashamed because of our faith. But this is not a new thing. The Jews were shamed because of their faith. You think about Daniel. You think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And how they were shamed because of their faith in God. The early Christians were shamed because of their faith. What can we learn from just this one verse that will help us as we try to shine like stars in the universe, Paul says in Philippians. To be the light of the world that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. So I did a Norman. I looked up the word ashamed, thinking that maybe I would find some deep, peculiar insight to the definition. I looked it up both in just a regular English dictionary and I looked it up in the Bible Greek lexicon. Yeah. And you know what I found out? No insight whatsoever. The word shame, the definition is feeling shame. That's the definition of ashamed. Feeling shame. I thought, okay, wow. But there was a second definition. Listen to this. Restrained by anticipation of shame. Oh. Restrained by anticipation of shame. Restrained, hindered, cowarded. That's not a word, but it is today. By the anticipation or even the expectation or even the realization of shame. And what it tells us is, is that being ashamed means that we can be so gripped by the fear of being shamed that we are hindered or restrained from doing the things that we ought to be doing. And our world is placing that pressure on us like never before. I'd like to say it's going to get better. I'm not very hopeful because of the world and the society in which we live. But there is hope. There is hope. And so this morning I wanted us to kind of look at some things. And the first thing I wanted us to look at, how does Satan shame us? How does Satan make us ashamed? Well, I think Satan through our society, okay? I believe by attacking our intelligence. I believe Satan tries to shame us by attacking our intelligence. He kind of did the same thing with Eve. If you go all the way back to the beginning and you see that temptation there in the garden, 
And Satan, the serpent, is saying to Eve, did God really say, don't eat of that fruit? Did God really say, if you eat of that fruit, you're going to die? You're not going to die. How naive can you be, woman? How illiterate, how, you know, dumb. I was going to use another word, but we're not allowed to use that in my family. You know, starts with an S, ends with an oopid. Okay, uh, how can, do you really believe that that's going to happen? And our world tries to tell us that we are dumb, that we are ignorant, that we are needy for needing a God, that we are never, that we are narrow-minded in our need for God. And that we just are not thinking intelligently when we believe that there is a God. And they try to shame us. They try to make us ashamed for, for just having that belief. You know, the same thing kind of happened to Paul when he was in Athens. You know, Athens was the center of, of philosophy and intelligence and education in the Roman Empire. And he comes in and starts preaching to them about one God. They're like, are you crazy? There can't just be one God. You must be pretty ignorant to believe that there's just one God. And it's interesting that that's one of the few places where there was very little response to the gospel in Paul's journeys and in Paul's teachings. But the world tries to shame us by saying that you're not very intellectual if you believe in God. The world and Satan also attacks our values, making us appear to be self-righteous, bigoted, uninclusive, and judgmental. They tell us that, you know, because of what you believe or how you believe, that you're just mean-spirited, that you're this, that you're that. And they try to shame us into submission, try to shame us into silence for speaking up for what is right according to God's Word. And Satan also shames us by attacking our character. You know, one of the ways that the world tries to, to uh, hurt Christianity is by taking the hypocrisy of some and making that the norm and the standard. Well, you know, this person over here claims to be a Christian and look what they've done. This person over here claims to be a Christian and claims to believe all those things that you believe and yet they go out and they do this. And does that happen? Absolutely. But we never claim to be perfect people, do we? We claim to strive to do our best to do God's will. Now when we totally turn our backs on God and decide we're going to do whatever we want to, that's a whole, whole other story. And we should not put up a false front where hypocrisy then can be revealed. But the world picks at every little thing in order to diminish Christianity, in order to shame us and make us ashamed to do what God would want us to do. Satan, through our society, tries to shame us into silence and submission. But we as Christians, we will not be ashamed because of what we have to offer 
and because of what God has done through us. I'm going to use a pretty simple analogy. As most of you know, I root for the Texas A&M Aggies. I have in my closet probably 20 maroon Texas A&M shirts. And there are some who have tried to shame me. There are some who have tried to make me ashamed because of the allegiance that I have. I'm not going to mention any names, Chuck and Ronald, (laughs) and others. And you know what? There are some times when I am really proud, based on football, you understand. There are some times when I am really proud. I see Mrs. Fisher and the daughters back there. Uh, I got a tie that Mrs. Fisher gave me when her husband passed, an A&M tie, an Aggie tie, bond we held together. And when things are going good, it's pretty easy to not be ashamed. But right now, things ain't going so good. Now, we just lost our fourth game in a row. We're, we're three and five on the season. Paying our head coach $9 million a year. You know what? For half that, I could be three and five. You know what I mean? But, it's a, but you know what? I, did, I started to, actually I didn't think about it until I got here this morning, I should have. I'm still going to wear my Aggie shirts. And I'm still going to be proud of my allegiance to Texas A&M. Not because of whether they're good or not, or whether somebody tries to shame me, but just because that's who I am. That's what has been a part of my life since I was born. Now take that silly, meaningless affiliation and apply it to our Christianity, which is of mega more importance. Are we going to allow Satan and allow the world to shame us into silence? To shame us into submission? To shame us into cowering. Cow, cowering? Cow. Yeah, but what do you do? You cower, right? Cower. Okay. Slink back. Because of the pressure that the world puts on us. We will not be ashamed. Because we have the gospel that is God's power. And that brings us to our second point. You've probably learned, go ahead Johnny, you've probably learned that that word power, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power. Many of you have probably heard that the Greek word, I'm getting, ooh, I got out the Greek lexicon talking about Greek words today. You impressed? Yeah, I didn't think so. All right, but the Greek word there is dunamis. 
from which we get our English word dynamite. It is God's bomb. It is God's explosion. It is God's power. And when we think of God's power, we can go all the way back to creation. In fact, in just a little bit in Romans chapter 1, as you know, we're not going to get there, but God basically says everybody should understand the evidence of God's power. The creation is the evidence of God's power. He spoke something from nothing. God said, let there be light, and there was light. That was on day one. Maybe it was day two, but anyway, day one. You know when he created the sun and the moon and the stars? Day four. Wait a second. To us, that doesn't make any sense, does it? You got to have the sun to have light, right? Not with God. God can just create light. And then later on, he'll create a source of light. But he is the source of light. We see God's power in the flood. We see God's power in the parting of the Red Sea. I'm reminded of this. A teacher was teaching children's Bible class, and, and she wasn't really into the miraculous kind of stuff. And so she was kind of saying that, you know, where Moses and them crossed the Red Sea, it was really kind of a little marshy place, and there really wasn't, you know, really wasn't that deep, you know, and they just kind of walked across. And the little boy said, wow, God is great. And the teacher said, what do you mean? God drowned all those Egyptians in two feet of water. <laughs> but the parting of the Red Sea and all the other things in feeding 5,000 with the little boy's lunch. But ultimately the power of God is seen through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that God, Jesus was shown to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection. We have God's power at our fingerprints, at our fingertips. We see it today in thunderstorms and hurricanes and in a sunset. And we see it in changed lives. But the most important place we see God's power is in the gospel. God's power of the gospel. At its foundation, the gospel is the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Over in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about the gospel, which is the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. But there is so much more that that encompasses. There is so much more that that includes. The gospel includes all of God's teachings. The gospel includes all of God's values that we see in His Word and in His will. And it is powerful. The gospel is powerful. It's a revealing power. In the gospel, we have revealed the power of God's love. 
We were in the teenage Bible class this morning. We were in Genesis chapter 3. We were talking about, you know, Adam and Eve sinning and how that sin separates us from God and that now Adam and Eve were separated from God. And, and we looked at Genesis 3.15, which says, you know, talking to the serpent. And there will be enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. And you will, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And I was telling them, and we know this, that, that that's the very beginning of the revealing of the gospel message. Immediately after sin enters the world, God immediately starts showing his plan for fixing everything, for putting it back together. And we've seen as we studied, you know, that the Old Testament is how God pursues mankind in order to Bring him back, bring us back to him. And it's through the gospel that we see God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a revealing power. It's also a saving power. For the wages of sin is death. We were enemies to God. Over in Ephesians chapter 2 says we were, boy I don't like this, we were objects of God's wrath. I think back to the Old Testament and I think about those people and things that were objects of God's wrath. And that terrifies me. But you know what? That is what we were. That is what you are outside of Christ. An object of God's wrath. God got so mad that he destroyed the world. Save eight people. God got so mad at Korah, Dathan, and Abiram for, for rebelling against Moses that he had the, the ground open up and swallow them and then the ground go back. But the gospel is the power to save us from God's wrath. It is through Jesus Christ through His sacrifice, that even though we should be objects of God's wrath, even though the wages of our sin should be death, Jesus' blood cleanses us from our sins. Jesus' blood saves us from God's wrath. But it is also a transforming power. How many do we know? How many have we been who have had our lives changed because of the power of the gospel. It has the power to change our lives, to make us better people, to make us better husbands and wives and fathers and children and, and employees and employers and, and citizens. The gospel has the power to transform us. But the gospel also is a growing power. It continues to work in our lives. It continues to make us better. It continues to make us stronger. 
It is a power that offers peace. It is a power that offers hope beyond this world. Satan is trying to paralyze us with shame. But what do we have to be ashamed of? What what really? And this is what has gotten me for a long time. What is the world's problem with Christianity? What is it that they don't like? Is it the love? Is it the kindness? Is it the forgiveness? Is it living our lives at peace with all men if possible? Ooh, that's a horrible thing, isn't it? I wouldn't want anything to do with anybody who just loved and had peace and was kind and and all those things. The problem the world has is that it doesn't want to follow what God says. And so the world and Satan through the world is going to try to do everything it can to make us ashamed of the gospel. To make us not do what we ought to do, hindering us because we might be shamed. Jesus warned his disciples and through that warned us The world's going to hate you. The world is going to try to shame you. The world is going to try to make you ashamed of being a Christian. Because the world didn't like me either. Turn, I I didn't put this on the screen, but grab a songbook. You may not need it, but turn to number 609. It says, I'm not ashamed to own my Lord. Now it's got three verses. But we're not going to pay any attention to the second and third verse. We're going to sing the first verse three times. How's that? Think about this. And and, and my point is, you ever get a song in your head and you can't get rid of it? I want this song to be in our heads this week. I want it to just be the first thing we think of when we get up in the morning, last thing we go to bed. We're sitting there, we're cooking dinner, we're sitting there, you know, at the office, sitting at the computer, and that song just in there, and you're going to get mad at me this week, and you're going to say, what did you do that for? But I think it's good for us. I'm not ashamed to own my Lord, nor to defend His cause. Maintain the honor of His Word, the glory of His cross. I'm not ashamed to own my Lord, nor to defend His cause. Maintain the honor of His Word, the glory of His cross. I'm not ashamed to own my Lord, nor to defend His cause. Maintain the honor of His work, the glory of 
his cross. I want to do one more thing before we close. I am thankful for mainly those older women who taught me in Bible class and encouraged me to memorize Bible verses. I'm thankful for my parents who knew what Bible verses I was supposed to memorize each week and went over with me with them each and every week. So I want you to do something with me this morning. We're going to repeat Romans chapter 116 together. Y'all ready? Most of you know it. Some of you are going to quote it in King James. It's going to be a little different. That's all right. Here we go. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. So, this week, I don't care if it's the song or I don't care if it's the verse, but I hope it rattles around in your head. If there's any way we can help or encourage you this morning, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing.